Hey guys, what's up? It is week 101. We are past 100. Let you guys know that the Blue Underground contest is still going on. It'll probably end at about 103 and the winner will be charged at, uh, drawn at 104, the contest winner. But uh, to enter this contest, all you got to do is send an email to ScreamingToiletContest at gmail.com uh, to be entered and let everyone know. Just say, I want to be entered. It's only to US only. Sorry about that. Out of my control. But uh, it's, it's simple. It takes a few seconds and you get it entered in uh, a chance to win the Zombie uh, Blue Underground Edition, the Maniac, and the New York Ripper, which is not released. All the new editions, all the stuff with uh, 4K Masters, uh, they all look great so far. Well, I haven't seen New York Ripper. It's not out yet, but it looks excellent. I mean, the Maniac Zombie look excellent. I'm sure New York Ripper will look great as well, as sleazy and great as it can be. But uh, I just want to let you guys know that after week 104, the VHS Voyage is no more. We start year three or season three. How should I put that, guys? But uh, it'll be year three, and we're going to do Hammer Time or Year of the Hammer, whatever, and it's going to be all Hammer movies. I'm going to post uh, a link below that you can click on and see the schedule for week one, two, three. Uh, there's going to be 52 weeks. There's going to be 58 movies covered. There'll be some double features in the very beginning, but we're going to cover, me and uh, Jeremy are going to cover all the Hammer movies that we can. Uh, some of them have already been reviewed, so they're not on the list, and there's a couple other that are borderline horror that won't be included, like The Lost Continent. I'll even include those that won't be included. So if you guys want to give me a pick a movie, one of those, or a Patreon or something like that, that would be cool as well, so I can squeeze those in. But I don't want to cover stuff I already covered but uh yeah so i guess we're gonna hop into the reviews well first i want to do a correction yesterday uh last week I said something about uh, knowing Craig Zoller. I didn't mean I knew Craig Zoller. I meant I know he's a film fan. You could tell watching it, and I love that. Just don't want to, you know, confuse people or anything like that. Obviously, I don't know him. But uh, let's start off with reviews. The first one is, uh, you know, kind of strange for me to start out with something like this, but it's from Mill Creek Entertainment, um, and it is Donnie Brasco. Um, you know, I saw this movie when it came out. And to be honest, uh, I've always enjoyed it. I've always liked the mobster movies, like uh, obviously Scorsese stuff, like Goodfellas and Casino, and then more the gangster crime films by Tarantino. I've always been into that kind of stuff, especially uh, growing up. I was born in the late 80s, early 90s. That stuff was everywhere, and it, I've always dug it, for sure. But Donnie Brasco was one that kind of stood out. I enjoyed it. Uh, it's based on a true story. It uh, stars Johnny Depp and Al Pacino, but it's got a bunch of other familiar faces you guys will recognize, including Michael Madsen, James Russo, Bruno Kirby, uh, and Haish and um, geez, what is this guy's name? Robert Menena or something like that. He pops up in uh, China Girl, which he's also in with John Russo, which is kind of fun and uh, stuff like Parasites. He just in uh, Open House. He's just an Italian character actor that probably gets the least amount of attention compared to all these other guys, but he's also excellent. Um, this follows the story of an undercover uh, FBI agent uh, named Joe. Uh, I can't think of his name, but he goes undercover as uh, Donnie Brasco and this mobster lefty, uh, played by Al Pacino, and bring him under the wing and he gets so far into the mafia and it tells a story about him trying to not get killed by all these uh, mobsters while trying to keep his family life together it's just it's it's really entertaining and, and interesting and it jumps all over the place because this is the theatrical version. There's like a, uh, a director's cut or extended cut which is 20 minutes longer. Unfortunately, this is only available uh, from Mill Creek. I know there is an extended uh, Blu-ray floating around from Mill Creek in the theatrical version. It doesn't even have subtitles which is kind of aggravating. But that's the only complaints about the release. It's bare bones, doesn't uh, have the extended cut on there and it doesn't have subtitles. It looks pretty good. It sounds pretty good although the dialogue could have been a little louder uh, on the release. But uh, the plot of the movie is... 
you know, it, it speaks for itself. It's such a, a movie that almost everybody has seen, but if people haven't seen it, I would recommend checking it out. Um, there, there's some really good moments in here. Um, Madsen, if you guys know Michael Madsen, he plays his character in here called Sonny Black. Madsen's and stuff like the remake of The Getaway and Reservoir Dogs. And Madsen's Madsen. And you either like him or you don't. And I love him in this movie. I, I just, he's a great character. He plays Sonny Black. And he's kind of their, um, I guess, pit boss or ring, kind of their, their gang leader, their crew leader. And uh, he's just intimidating and scary, but also funny at the same time. Uh, and you got to give it up for Bruno Kirby's performance in this movie. He has one of my favorite lines in here. Uh, it's a little derogatory, but he says, Come on, Donnie, help me fillet this fat fuck. And <laughs> it's so funny. Um, you know, he's one of those guys that uh, I forget in so much stuff, or I, I forget what he's in until I'm watching him. I was like, oh, it's Bruno Kirby. Um, it's just filled, like I said, I love these uh, movies, filled with all these character actors. And uh, these. I know there are a bunch of Italian stereotypes, but it's one of my favorite kind of films to watch is these Italian crime films. It doesn't match up just like a Scorsese. Of course, that's impossible to me to really do, but uh, it, it's a really entertaining movie with a unique story. And I'm going to tell you this right now. I do like Al Pacino. I've always been a De Niro fan, but um, De Niro, uh, Pacino is pretty fearless as, as is uh, De Niro. And uh, later in uh, Pacino's career, he would get so over the top, it got ridiculous. This is a pretty reserved performance uh, in uh, Pacino's later career, even though it's like 20, over 20 years old, 22 years old or something like that. But it's a really good performance for that late in his career, and I think it's pretty excellent, to be honest. And as far as Johnny Depp goes, I've always said this. like People love Johnny Depp, and he is a very bizarre actor. And in some things, uh, he's outstanding, like Edward Scissorhands or... Um, uh, geez, a fear and loathing, but a lot of times Johnny Depp rubs me the wrong way. He, he just has trouble playing a semi-normal character, and I know Donnie Brasco is not exactly a normal character, but I think this is probably one of uh, Johnny Depp's uh, most subdued and all-around good performances with coming across realistic. He is a, he's kind of a character. He's definitely a character, but he comes across realistic, and he does a good job at being this uh, former FBI agent who's kind of becoming like Donnie Brasco, and this movie's really good at you know, actually showing sympathy for some of the mobsters like Lefty, played by Al Pacino, and even showing sympathy for the undercover agent, which is a rare thing to do. There's some really good moments of suspense where you don't know exactly what's going to happen, even though it's based on true stories, so you might know exactly. But um, regardless, uh, really good movie. Um, one of the better mobster movies that I've seen, to be honest, and uh, highly recommended for sure. Great performances, great story. Uh, although I've never seen the extended cut, so I wonder if it fixes some of those jump around moments in the, uh, the uh, theatrical. I'm sure that it does. When I introduce you, I'm gonna say, this is a friend of mine. That means you're connected again. Now, if I said instead, this is a friend of ours, that would mean you were made gang. I capiche? When Lefty brought Donnie into his world. Who's this guy? This Donnie, a friend of mine. He took a risk on a kid he hardly knew. I'm gonna have to school you, my friend. School me in what? Why this guy never carries his money in a wallet? Always in a roll. Bina on the outside. He gave him his trust. You gotta get rid of that mustache and get yourself a pair of pants. Just, just like me. He loved him like a son. Nobody can touch you because I represent you. Keep your nose clean, follow the rules, be a good owner, and maybe one day when they open the books, you could come a wise guy. I'd die with you, darling. But he never knew the truth. There's a war going on in that Mafia family, and that is where Joe is undercover. Donnie! Come here! I want to know where my husband is. We don't know. You're going to freeze up? No. A lot of guys freeze up. He said it was going to be three months. It's going on three years. Who he's with and who he's close to, they're all the top dogs now. He's right in the line of fire. There was a rat in Florida, Donnie. You know what to do when you find that rat, right, Left? 
Could be I found them already. In our thing, you get sent for, you go in alive, you come out dead, and it's your best friend that does it. We have got to pull him out. You think I'm a rat? How many times I have you into my own house? If you're a rat, then I'm the biggest mutt in the history of the Mafia. If I come out, Lefty dies. They're gonna kill him because he vouched for me, because he stood up for me. That's the same thing as if I put a bullet in his head myself, do you understand? Who am I? I'm a spoke on a wheel, and so are you. Hey, Don. Yeah. Let's take a walk. I'm your best friend. Hey guys, uh, we got some dual reviews here, and uh, we're in a different location, so hopefully the road's not too loud, and the lighting's not perfectly great, because I don't have any lights, this is all outside lights, so there's a little, you know, bit of darkness on us, but I want to try something new, it's a nice day, so I figured, why not? Also, I am a monkey, and like, I have long limbs, and I'm all cramped up here, so... We're going to start with the reviews. Uh, the first one, even though this probably won't be in chronological order, is uh, Amadeus, which was made... It's a Patreon pick from one of my good friends, Brandon Salkill. It's actually his favorite movie, and it was made in 1984, and I believe it won Best Picture in 1984. Uh, this, we watched the director's cut, which is three hours long. Uh, you've never seen this movie? Mm-mm. I wanted Jeremy to watch this movie and talk about it because um, Jeremy's smarter than me. I don't know if anybody knows to stop it. And then when they're gone, you're like, yeah, moron. Jeremy knows a lot more about music than myself, um, especially opera. And uh, this is a story about Mozart, and it's told by the point of view of a um, composer named uh, Salieri. How do you say it exactly? Salieri? Yeah. That's, that's what the internet told me. Well, we heard his name a million times. <laughs> but uh, he was an Italian musician that worked in Vienna for um, one of the... Jeez, uh, what was his name? Uh, Joe, the second... He was uh, um, an emperor or something he like that. An emperor. And it was played by Jeffrey Jones. But regardless, F. Murray Abraham is in kind of a nut house, and he attempts suicide, and he's taken there, and he starts to tell his story to a priest, a confession. And you realize this old, decrepit, weird man... Uh, says he kills Mozart. So it goes into this story about uh, jealousy and obsession and what admiration, yeah, admiration and obsession and hatred all in the same. Yeah. Who played um, Salieri? Uh, F. Murray Abraham. He was really good and he played both the young version and the old version. Oh, of course, of course. I didn't know. Which okay. is fantastic because you see him younger and when you see him older the makeup effects are by Dick Smith. So it's always great to see these big special effects guys get in a big like Academy Award winning movie and like guys that also like horror fanatics like idolize is like yes, it's Dick fucking Smith on the special effects. So they're great. Um the performance in this movie are some of the best I've ever seen. Yeah. And this movie is dramatic, and I don't know how historically accurate it is, but uh, it has some of the best performances I've seen ever. It's hilarious, and it's just so petty at the characters. Yeah, well, I mean, we can talk about the historical ac- accuracy and Accuracy? Yeah, accuracy in, in a bit. Um is it Jeffrey Jones? Jeffrey Jones. My God, he's amazing. It's, I, I don't even want to bring it up, but Jeffrey Jones, <laughs> I grew up with Jeffrey Jones, and he's one of those actors as a young person I always saw, and I was like, oh, it's Jeffrey Jones from Beetlejuice and um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Stay Tuned and Mom and, no, he's Mom and Dad Save the Universe, all these movies, and he was always so top-notch, and then you hear the stories about him, and you're just like, that's so, such a shame. You, you, you know, the, the real shame is I had only ever seen him in Beetlejuice, and my entire life I thought that that was just Alec Baldwin. 
What, you confused their names? I don't understand how you could do that. Because i only seen one movie with either of them in it. That's ridiculous. I'll call it <laughs> You're such a liar. No, I'm not. But regardless, <laughs> regardless, uh, Amadeus was, it was a treat. It was one of these movies that I knew was a great movie, and I'd put it off for a year. So when Brandon picked it, I was like, okay, awesome. I watched it on Vudu, a three-hour version HD. Mm-hmm. But look, it looks, it's a great-looking movie. It, the production design is top-notch. It's one of these movies that doesn't seem to age. Like, you look at it, and you wouldn't guess it's from 1984. It could be from 1984, 1994, 2004, 2014. I, I mean, really thought it came out in, like, 95, 96, maybe even, like, early 2000s. I don't know why I always thought it was, like, much later than when it came out. I don't know if it, it was a remaster that came out that, that time. That one came out in 2001, the director's cut, I believe. Maybe that might be what I'm thinking of, but, yeah, it was really good. Um, if you like, just, like, the set design, like, yeah. um, I tend to, like, I like Rococo and, like, Baroque style. Yeah. Like, they're fun to me. Um, I love Voltaire. I Like, it's just a, a really... The Enlightenment, such a neat time in human history, and like they, um, Sorelli, Salieri, Salieri. Just call him F. Murray Abraham from now on. A- Abraham. Okay, there F- you go. A- Abraham. Um, yeah, Abraham. Um, his fascination with sweets. That is brilliant. It starts right in the very beginning, yes. which is one of my favorite scenes, where Vincent Chiavelli, who's also in this director's other movie, one of his other movies, Milos Foreman, who directed One for the Cuckoo's Nest, and there is similarities. Mm-hmm. But Vincent Chiavelli has a great scene. He's uh, Salieri's valet, and uh, he's trying to convince him, coax him to come out of the room after they hear these loud noises, and there's these sweet rolls, and he dips them in some sort of frosting, and he's like, these are the sweetest, the best things I have ever had, and me and so-and-so are going to eat all of them and leave you none if you do not open this door. And it was just such a hilarious thing. And Salieri throughout the movie is such a serious person who's so prideful and to see him being reduced to this like decrepit old man who's being trying to be coaxed out of his room with sweets it's just like candy there's a line in this the patron saint of mediocrity and I don't want to spoil too much but that's just such a sad thing and and Mozart is played by this guy named Tom Holch's actor and he's a he's annoying he's he's Nobody likes Mozart because he borrows all this money, but he is like a genius. He's a savant in music. And it's just that Salieri gets this complex that he thinks that God has betrayed him because his whole life he's been dedicated to music. And we have Mozart, who seems to not try nearly as hard as him, who's been gifted with this amazing talent. And he seems mediocre in comparison. And he thinks that eventually, because when Mozart originally comes in, he kind of rubs him the wrong way without even knowing he's doing it. And he feels that um, if he can spite Mozart, he can spite God and get some revenge. So it's obvious uh, mental illness talking there. Oh, yeah. I think his first interaction with Mozart is it's actually for a concert. Mozart's invited to, you know, present his music. And, like, Mozart can't be found. And he find, um, Abraham finds Mozart in like a room frolicking around with some random girl and it's like who is this like oh yeah this like horny teenager more or less like oh this is like the prodigy this is you know the spirit his of the idol muses. as well at the time exactly it's like it's just some kid like who would even imagine you know <laughs> yeah and his laugh oh god I and they even to slap him. they even do that laugh on purpose at the end before the credits roll to haunt Salieri. Mm-hmm. but there's just some great things in here that are really funny like the um 
competition between when they say should we do the opera in uh, German or Italian and all these Italian composers are like well German's such a brutal language and it's just funny that all these people hate Mozart because he's such a obnoxious person but there's also this jealousy in there um, and, and Mozart is so good in this movie that only artists that are semi-good or at least decent can understand how good he is so his stuff doesn't always translate to the masses but it will right. tra- it, it will stand the test of time in this movie. But regardless, I love how they incorporate music throughout the movie when they're mm-hmm. playing the music and stuff like that. And F. Murray Abraham's acting performances when he's realizing, when he's actually writing music of Mozart and he's realizing what he's doing. I don't understand why he did this here. He's like trying to di- dissect his brain during it. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Yeah, the, um, you know, opera was almost always in Italian. And the reason why, like, everything is in Italian when you look at, like, sheet music is because that's where, like, they printed everything. Let's let's be honest. Although Sorelli did make a few German operas, like making an opera in German wasn't necessarily unheard of. It just wasn't regularly done. And then we get to Wagner, and then things fall apart from there. Now we have like English speaking opera. Like, okay, why not? But it's just it's just interesting because it's uh, something that I'm not interested in as opera, but I am interested in like the times at that place and how things operated. But the way this movie unfolds, and I laughed complete, a lot, out loud a lot. It's definitely a dark comedy, but a tragedy, but also hilarious. And, I think you mean operated. What? Operated. You're interested in how it operated. It's a pun. Review's over, guys. That's it. Go home. Cut. No refunds. Um, what did I want to say? Oh, yeah. Um, Sorelli. Yeah. Salieri. Salieri. I told you to you stop know, saying his damn Sorelli, name. Sorelli, I think, is in a Sweeney Todd. I think Salieri. He, I think All he's right. the uh, barber. The other barber. Okay. The other evil what barber. What were you going to say? Um, is a composite character. Because I, I knew um, a few years ago they released, it was like circa 2003, they released Mozart's Requiem, like, kind of like a finished version yeah. because, you know, he composed it as he was dying. Yeah. That much is true. And he did dictate it to another man, and that, that was... Um, and I bought the album when it, when it came out. They did this, like, beautiful orchestration. And the name on it, you know, as arranged by... An, and it wasn't Abraham. I don't know. It wasn't Salieri. It wasn't Salieri. Yeah. But he did exist. He did exist. And, He's a real character. And, and he, and he did. did have an uh, influential part in Mozart's life. And there is, you know, at the time of Mozart dying, people did think that he did murder and poison Mozart. But, um... But um, yeah, so so the dictation of of his requiem wasn't actually done to Sorelli, Salieri, Salieri. If you do it one more damn time, I'm restarting. <laughs> Yeah, so it was a mixture of characters. It was but, yeah, he was a composite character, but for dramatic purposes, I think that they just took various characters and made this character and i guess this is based off a play if i'm not I'm not sure but i know the focus of this movie is really cool because it really only follows two characters yes it yeah. follows salary and mozart and it jumps around throughout the time and it's the structure of the story i love because you have this old man telling the story and i always dig that that's just an interesting way to tell the story because you're already intrigued when you see this man because he's obviously it's just something not right so you go back in time and you start to learn more about him and it progresses over a long period of time at least mm. 10 years maybe more 
and uh, you just see all the different and, and characters come in and they leave and they go and you see Mozart get more pale and pale right. over the years and, and there's some familiar faces that pop up in here Kenneth McMillan uh, was in here as the uh, kind of old man right when I saw him I was like that man's Irish and I was like oh okay yeah, I knew who he was dogs, it took yes. me a second to realize and I was like okay what else is this guy in and he's just a character actor and a bunch of stuff but yeah, there's, like I said, it's just got some of the best performances in there, and there's lots of funny moments. I really like um, Mozart's father. I thought he did an amazing job, and I, I was really fond of him. And the Mozart's wife's also really good. She's really good. Uh, Jeffrey Jones, obviously, yeah. and um, he he wasn't a big part of those two other Rosenberg composers. and I can't remember the heavy guy's name. That, I really like the heavy guy. He just had really good facial expressions. I think he might have been German. No, he was Italian. Was he? Oh, yeah, he was. They Italian. were all Italian. Those three yeah. guys were all Italians. That's why they cut him off at one point, and they didn't want him to get that position. And he was like the Italians because he Mozart kind of insults the Italians right when he comes in. You know, yeah, and sides with Germany because Mozart was German, right? Right. Like, yeah. 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 He, and uh, Vienna, that's in Austria, right? That's more of a German yeah. That's Austria. Country, so. Um, and I, I never knew the contention around Figaro. I, I never... I mean, I don't know if that's even historically accurate, but also the ballet not being able to be performed. Right. So many rules and different and things and, and all these different nonsensical rules back in the day. But it made sense that he was worried that it would cause political uprising because back in the day, if you ruled, you know, one wrong thing off with your head... Well, that that's a few years later. But still. Or, or are you talking about, like, off of your head to the leaders or to the people... Well, both, really. Which I mean, really... like, I'm just saying, if oh, yeah. one thing went wrong, it could cause chaos, chaos. and yeah. one side would just overthrow the other one, yada, yada, yada. But right. regardless, movie's excellent. It mixes uh, a comedy with a, a very interesting story, and uh, it, it's like, like I said, it, it pulls you in. I laughed really hard, and just the idea that someone is so obsessed with this person, like, they have, like, they're just crazy about them, and mm. they hate them, and they just, the way they decide, and how they just, like, deteriorate, and this is, like, jealousy is great. And I, I like when they, when they film snippets of the operas. I think it really draws oh. you in. You get, you get to see the music, and, like, see some bits of production, and it just looks like fun. Man, I want to go to one. It's very, com- all those complex things happening, like the horses coming, it's just, it's like, I can't believe they put all this on, and I mean, oh, yeah. Just the idea that they could play this music or learn how to play this music. It's just like, you know, they had a lot more free time on their hands, rich oh, people. Yeah. And they didn't have distractions like the internet and horrible YouTube reviews like this one. You know, I don't know if anybody um, ever listened to Ring of the Nibelungen or, you know, the great Wagner opera, but it's a psycho. And, and opera was a big thing back then. And. Wagner wanted to make the opera to end all operas, and the final act of the final opera, it's a cycle of four operas, usually it airs across, you know, now it's done once a, one opera a year for four years, but it used to be done in one week. And the final opera, he just sets the whole stage on fire and just burns the entire thing down to the ground. Literally. Stands it off. That's how the original Ring of the Nibelungen ends, is with just light it all on fire because a volcano blew up. Huh. Yeah, it's called Gotterdammerung, or Apocalypse of the Gods, or End of the Gods. Okay, so now that you've had your history lesson on opera, yeah, uh, I just want to say, definitely check this movie out. It's really and, good. And it's not a movie like, it's like, I shouldn't be doing but it's a Patreon pick, and these, this is why Patreon's really cool for me, is people pick stuff that I wanted to see for years and forces me to watch a great movie and talk about it. It's just, you know, the ramblings of a crazy person talking about a, another crazy person in a great movie. So, I'm good, if you're good. Isn't that what we're doing? Yes. Okay. That's what I just said. Oh. It's the ramblings of a crazy... 
crazy person talking about another crazy person in a great movie. Go watch it. It's good. Are we going to appall you with something confidential and disgusting? Let's hope so, because that is what you really like. Unconfessed crimes of buried wickedness. If that is what brings you to us, the prospect of hearing horrors, you shall not go unrewarded. I don't believe it. The whole city is talking. You hear it all over. What a story. What a scandal. What a comedy. What a tragedy. Incredible. I don't believe it. Who can believe it? What horrors have you heard? Tell us. Tell us. Tell us at once. Tell us about Wolfgang. Amadeus. Mozart. Mozart. Mozart? <laughs> How good is he, this Mozart? He's remarkable. He's an unprincipled, spoiled, conceited brat. I'm a vulgar man. But I assure you, my music is not. He is divinely inspired. He is arrogant, vulgar, obscene. He creates music for the gods. He is passionate. He burns with fire. He is an angel. He is a devil. He claimed he'd been poisoned. Some said he accused a man. Some said the man was Salieri. Salieri? Salieri. I don't believe it. All the same. Could it be possible? Did Salieri do it after all? Did he murder Amadeus? Amadeus, the man, the music, the magic, the madness, the murder, the mystery, the motion picture. Amadeus, everything you've heard is true. Okay, the next one is from Arrow Video, and this is from the director of Doom Asylum. Doom Asylum is a ridiculous movie, and this is Scared Stiff. This is also a ridiculous movie. Okay, I had never seen Scared Stiff. Scared Stiff was a movie that I had the VHS for, and it had a little, it had a crazy monster on the cover, and it just sat on my shelf for about 20 years I've had this tape. So when Arrow released it, Arrow, like, everybody talks about, like, Joe Bob was just talking about, have there ever been, like, a, a movie that they rediscover from the 80s and all the special editions? Has anyone said, man, this thing sucks? Well, I really enjoyed this one. It's like a, I guess it kind of needs rediscovery because not a lot, I never hear, I never heard anyone mention Scared Stiff. Like, everybody had it or, had, like, shown a VHS, but nobody, I never seen a review for it. I never seen anyone bring it up in conversation. But uh, Scared Stiff is a ridiculous movie. It's nonsensical. Okay, uh... I don't even know where to get into this story. We have, what is it, Slave Times. We have this horrible slave trader. He trades slaves. Um, and there's some slaves uh, kind of practicing some sort of weird uh, magical, I don't want to say voodoo because I don't think it's voodoo, but they're practicing these weird kind of curses and everything. They put a curse on him. He kills a bunch of them. His family lineage, I guess, is cursed, or he is cursed. And he, I, I think he's a magician as well. So basically he is cursed, and he his family is dead, and he kills his family, kills the slaves, and this house is really weird, and it's all boarded up in an attic. Comes Here comes Andrew Stevens, who just recently started dating this uh, 
rock star, this pop star. Andrew Stevens is uh, Stella Stevens' son. He's in a bunch of stuff. He's in a few Charles Bronson movies like 10 to Midnight, Death Hunt. He's also in stuff like Day of the Animals. So Andrew Stevens' familiar face. I'm actually shocked he was in this because he's not an A-list actor, but a pretty solid kind of high-level actor. So maybe not at the time, 1986. So he moves into this giant, awesome house, and they realize there's a boarded-up attic. But before that, there's a the pop star has a son, and these pigeons, which are somehow in the attic in the beginning, I think. And I thought these pigeons were supposed to reflect the souls of the slaves. They don't. They're just, I guess, a bad omen and randomly around for some reason. So the pigeons visit this boy, like as in the boy or the mother would have some sort of lineage with the character who lived in the house, because I thought their house was haunted. But that's not what's going on. These yeah. people, and it sets it up for it too. So I was like, what's going on? So they move into this house. And the, uh, Andrew Stevens starts to be possessed by the old slave uh, trader. And the pop star starts to notice it. And she had a, a mental breakdown, which is really horrible because Andrew Stevens has been dating her. And he was her doctor. Andrew Stevens works in a nut house, so we get that as well. And that's the setup for this movie. Start crazy things. Hauntings start to go on. People start to get killed in the house. And the real crazy stuff doesn't happen until the last 30 minutes. But people don't even get killed until the 45-minute mark. When is the... Construction worker, the oh, okay. home repair guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> this, like I said, there's just so much weird things going on here. And like I said, the last 30 minutes turns into a special effects extravaganza. Yeah. It's great. It's vastly entertaining. But the first hour, you're like, why are these people doing this? What is going on? They find these bones and this enter this cop. And, and there's funny because there's a handyman. And of course, in these haunted house movies, think the beyond. The handyman are always the ones to die or get hurt. The guy, let me let me finish this. The guy falls off the ladder in the beyond. And this is the same thing. We have a painter. In the beyond, it takes 10 minutes for it to happen. And this one, it takes 35, 40 minutes for this old painter to somehow hang himself on a rope and hang outside of the kid's bedroom for days without anyone noticing them. Yet, the cops visit to take these bones they found in the attic, but no one notices the dead painter hanging outside the house. It's hilarious. And he continues to rot throughout the movie. Were you going to say anything about the dead painter? Yeah, I was... I was... So, it, so the the repair guy, the painter, he he's one that finds the attic. And, and it's like, you got pigeons in your attic. And it's, and it's like, oh, we don't have an attic. Um... And it's and it's when they find the bones, they yeah. go up into to the attic. They, they, they find all kinds of things, not just the there's bones. an amulet too. That's the key to the, everything. There's an amulet. There's a diary. I think the little boy finds a key, and the key is what unlocks the chest full of bones. Um, and that's I think when the painter dies, and then the officers come. We're like, okay, we got these bones. These are clearly been dead for some time. It's not a police issue. Let's take it to the <laughs> like, museum. Meanwhile, on the other side of the house, like, like it's a shame he didn't fall on like, the front or the side. He just had to be on the back. He's just hanging. He's dead. He's been hanging there. For, and they, they play this gag where he hangs there for days. And like within like a matter of like 24 hours, he's purple. Yeah. And he just keeps bloating and getting grosser. Well, like, like, like the, the, um... The, the the thing is like the it show the movie shows him hanging and then like the cops are there to get the bones and like nobody says anything about the painter like they didn't notice him they didn't notice him but like the movie doesn't even like indicate like it indicates that he got hung but he it doesn't indicate that like it doesn't bring up the painter until like an hour later into the film when he bursts through the window. Or, or no, the kid is completely about very a It's all in the nightmare sequence. Yeah. But the, this movie has lots of weird things like that that just are kind of logical plot holes. 
Yeah. But the acting's pretty solid for the most part. I thought Stevens and the uh, lead actress, who's a bunch of soap operas, were good. And the kid mm-hmm. was pretty good. And the cop steals the show. Yeah. The cop is this uh, old African-American guy who has this ongoing gag where he's obsessed with the, the basketball game. So no matter what he's doing, no matter through his job, he's trying to turn on TVs everywhere. He has, he, And it gets so ridiculous. He goes to the nut house and he, he starts arguing with a patient who turns the channel. And there's the best gag in the movie is when he's at work, he has a TV hooked up in a, in a desk drawer and he's like, let's go on it. He's a very funny character, ridiculous. Um, there's also some other ridiculous characters in here, the mental patient. And all these characters somehow play into the end dream sequences and all these weird uh, haunted feelings that happen. But the funny thing is, the actress, the pop star actress, never saw... The, any of these characters, a lot of these characters that other people interacted with, so that they're pulled into her dream sequence at the end, especially um, the guy who gets the shock treatment. Well, she did see him for a split second, right? Mm-hmm. But still, she doesn't know who this guy is, but he they act like they know each other, but it's just strange. There is a great gag in here, or a scare, where she goes in to uh, look uh, the, the young boy, because uh, Andrew Stevens is losing his mind, he breaks a mirror, and he's, you think it's him sitting, staring mm-hmm. at himself in the mirror, and you see his reflection in the mirror, the broken mirror everywhere. And the boy walks in and to look, and Andrew Stevens turns around. And it's not Stevens, it's a slave trader, and he's all messed up in the face. It was a really good gag. I think mirror gags, and these kind of movies work perfect. See Poltergeist yeah. 3, see uh, The Evil Within. They're always great. It, I mean, the the structure of like the overall narrative is just really, it's really weird. Like They introduce that she's like a pop singer... And, like, it, it has, like, a small part in the beginning where she's like, I'm on tour, I can't wait to move into this house. And then, aside for one dream sequence, it's never brought up again. Like, she's just a stay-at-home mom now. Um, then there's, like, the whole, hey, we find we found all these relics in the attic. I think something might be going on here. And I know that the, the doctor, the, the husband or whatever, he gets possessed. But he, he like, won't look into it like he's like no you're crazy you can't be doing this because it's gonna well the evil spirit starts to take him over yeah like and like the evil spirit thing okay so they look the whole dream sequence because the doctor's a you know he's a killer now um they have the whole dream sequence and like she kills the the old guy from the slave times the yeah guy these aren't really dream sequences at the end spoiling to you're spoiling too much Okay, but, okay. I, but the, no, the ending gets so crazy that they bring everything in when the house and all the evil yeah, spirits yeah, come yeah. in, and all the things start popping up from the past. This, like I said, it turns into a special effects extravaganza where all the characters somehow turn into some of the monsters or the people turn into like monsters that right. die, and they turn into like Ghostbuster mo- like toys, like right. ridiculous. So, so okay, so I don't want to spoil it too much, but they, they they wrap it up, you know, they they stop the evil. The doctor's still evil, possessed because he comes back to the house and. Spoiling way too much. Okay, I'm sorry. But, like, why is he still possessed? Well, yes. They killed the demon. Why is he possessed? The, the, the movie's really mean-spirited that way. <laughs> it's really, like, silly and fun and kind of a blast. And then it's just, like, also at the same time, like, mean-spirited as hell. Like, it's like, uh-uh. We're going further. It never ends. The nightmare doesn't end. Right, but, yeah. I mean, the house they use, I really liked. Uh, the special effects at the end are really fun. Um, it does become a little unintentionally funny, which I mm-hmm. think is helps this one. Like, this is a kind of bad but good movie. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it, to be honest. And, like, 
the lead actors are doing their best, and there's right. some like good zany characters in there that help the movie move along. And the monster lo- at the end looks great. And the monster looks the, good. The designs like are great. The special effects artist did a really good. The job. the toy scene I thought was really well was done. Stop motion. Oh, it's not stop motion. It's actually. like kinetic they, motion. Yeah, they did a whole bunch of cool stuff with mm-hmm. all these toys coming to life. Uh, it looks great. Like I can't believe this movie looks this good. To be mm. honest, and yeah. I, I guess they say you can't polish a turd, but you really can. I mean, I, I don't want to call this movie a turd because it's an 80s horror movie that's actually entertaining. And a lot of them you'll watch and like, this is a snooze fest. Mm. So I, I would check it out. I like it. I mean, it's probably worth a watch. I just... It, it kind of falls apart. It's, it's fun. A it's, it's, a it's, a, it's a mess. It's a beautiful disaster. But I don't even want to call it a beautiful disaster. It's better than Curse 3? Like, I here's a... you're not going to hate yourself for watching it but i don't know if you necessarily have to seek it out does that make yeah the special features on here are great too there's a commentary and there's some one of the guys is always kind of like yeah we probably shouldn't have done that like and stuff like that they were like kind of joking a little bit and then they have a making of which is really cool where they bring back like andrew stevens and the child there's just a bunch of stuff like that on the day they went all out for this this is arrow yeah okay arrow always does good work so yeah yeah I, I would check it out. I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty fun. Yeah, sure. Why not? There was an opening here once. Every house has its secrets. But this secret has waited 150 years to get out. Those old bones from your attic turn out to be his wife. <laughs> I don't understand your fixation with those bones. And, and not just the bones, your dreams. Where are the ghosts, Kate? Kay Christopher and her son, Jason, have uncovered something so ungodly, so inhuman, even if she can find the power to defy it, even if they can find the courage to confront it, it may be too late. The force that can save their lives could shatter their minds, scared stiff. You know what? This is going to be a super short week, so um, we're already going to be hopping into the weekly western. Let's go. Why not? Fill your hand, you son of a bitch! Say when.
knocking up on heaven's door. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Hey, Kitty, you bastard! It's you and I! <laughs> Okay, guys, the Weekly Western is a wild one. <laughs> this is by Enyo Castorleri. I hope I say his name right. He did a bunch of stuff, but it is Kioma from Arrow Films, starring Franco Nero. This one was actually done in the late Spaghetti Western, very late for a Spaghetti Western, like 1975, and it stars Franco Nero and has done Enyo Castorelli, who did a bunch of different movies, including Inglorious Bastards and uh, 1990 Bronx Warriors. So he was a director that would hop around to different genres, you know, kind of a journeyman, kind of like Fulci in a lot of ways. But those guys are usually, especially Italian journeymen, are usually really good and you can sense styles and things and uh, um, if you guys are familiar with my videos I reviewed High Crime a little bit ago and Costarelli did that with Franco Nero but Kioma is one of the weirdest wildest spaghetti westerns I've ever seen on the features they go into this idea that um, as it starts to become late in the genre of the spaghetti western they start to parody themselves like with the Tensor Hill and Ten Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer movies but after that they become even self-reflective and weird and that's what they say Kioma is and Kioma is one of the weirdest movies I've seen in a very long time. Uh, it also stars um, William Berger, who's in a bunch of uh, spaghetti westerns and other films, as uh, Franco Nero's father. And Franco Nero in this is like a half-breed, they call him. He's half Native American, half um, uh, white, although you can't tell, except from his outfit. And he's always at turmoil with his brothers. And he's constantly living in the past, which includes his flashbacks to his father, his brothers, and a, um, a slave that worked for them, played by Woody Strode. And he's been freed since then, so he's in the present time as well. Woody Strode's an excellent actor. He puts a lot into this role. And in fact, all the acting's really solid um, in here. And it, it really plays with uh, storytelling, how we'll have Kioma walking around, and it will uh, he'll see something, and it will play in front of him, almost like a, a screw, like a... a uh, um, what is that? The Christmas Carol story where he goes and visits things like his past is constantly running in front of him and he's seeing it and it merges into the real world which is pretty unique especially for a spaghetti western and add in the fact that this movie has some of the best cinematography and locations especially even though it was filmed in a weird spot not in a typical America like Montana or Spain or anything I think it was filmed maybe in Spain and Italy which is weird uh, but um, it has some great cinematography we'll, we'll have it will do the wide shots but it will start really close and zoom out and you're like geez I can't believe the cameraman was keeping that steady and we'll also do other things like uh it will show shots through uh like a wooden board and they'll shoot through it and we'll show them uh, there's fight scenes that they fight through different like uh like frames and going like getting closer and foreground and background and just fun stuff like that there's lots of cool like camera tricks and interesting shots and it never is boring to watch and like i said the story structure is completely wild and different it gives all the actors some juicy bits and some juicy dialogue and it also has one of the most bizarre storytelling folk-like music scores I've ever heard in my entire life. If you think something like those old movies like um, Chino with uh, Charles Bronson where they have the song like in the opening or any of those kind of movies have their own theme music or what is it, Soldier Blue? But this one, for the love of God, it literally is so literal. It almost, I mean, it like it, it surpasses anything that Simon and Garfunkel would do in The Graduate. But it's just like, and then he died and he was sad and it just literally like says the whole thing. It's such a unique 
weird thing. And I think even Franco Nero sings in the score. But uh, yeah, it's really weird. It's really crazy and surreal and different and uh, one of a kind. And I really loved it, to be honest. It was really cool stuff. Uh, the features are loaded. There's a commentary on here. There's appreciation videos. But I liked watching Castorelli talks a little bit. Um, I would say his name wrong. And George Eastman, which is my favorite part because he actually wrote this. And uh, George Eastman, obviously I'm a big fan of George Eastman. Uh, Eastman was one of these guys who wrote a lot, but he also acted. And he he's talking and he says, I almost had a role in the movie, but when I walked in, I was going to play, he's going to play one of the brothers. Um, he said, Frank O'Neill looked at him and was like, he gave me that look that says, oh man, this guy's way too tall. And he, he mentions that Frank O'Neill was only five foot six and George Eastman is six foot six, six foot five, maybe even bigger. So he was a guy who was a foot taller. So it was just going to look weird on camera. And you know how actors, even even some of my favorites had that that height thing. Like Charles Bronson's like, I don't want to act with anybody taller than me. So it's just like they didn't want to ever look too short. But in this one, it, it's just a foot is just too much. Like if you're the leading, it, it would just look like a, a child. But uh, it's a, it's some crazy over the top like performance at times from um, Franco Nero. But there's also some weird stuff like uh, this constant, like this witch who's always following him around and and. Like, it's just so weird and bizarre, and it tries to do this life and death stuff. Um, looks great. Sounds great. Uh, really highly recommended. I, I'm surprised I hadn't seen it. Uh, I loved it. Yeah, well, definitely worth checking out. Come on in. You've been gone quite a while this time. Where you been? Fighting a war. Meet anybody faster than you? Not yet. Shot Ben and Charlie not even turning around. Ain't no man can hit a target without looking at it. There are two men who can't. Our paw is one and the other is. This land belongs to Mr. Caldwell, along with everything that's on it. You had to pay for the water, and now you gotta pay for the medicine. <laughs> I'll pay this time. How much you willing to pay? Four cents. The price of four bullets. One, two, three, and four. Why are you helping us? When you've been away so long, your memories won't let you forget the debts that have to be paid. Don't try to help us. We're already dead. But you're still afraid. Death hasn't changed that. Myself, maybe. Why'd you come back? The world keeps going around and around. So you always end up in the same place. Kayoma, you can't do it alone. 
I have to do it alone. Because I am alone. Tired of killing. I have to survive. to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Okay, next is the VHS Voyage, and this was from Prism. This is a beat-up tape I had called Mind Killer from 1987. Oh, you could tell I wanted to watch that. Look at that case. I actually believe this one might be on Amazon Prime to watch. Mind Killer, 1987. Great cover art. And I was like, I'm excited to watch this one. I put it in. Uh, the opening starts off kind of fun, kind of weird, where this guy's bubbling up, and he's like, Mom, don't come in. Ah. And then like some weird scientific crazy stuff happens, and I'm like, I'm in. And then proceeds an hour and 10 minutes of these nerdy guys and weirdos trying to score with women but this guy discovers this old book that has mind control powers and he starts to dive into it and starts to get the ladies and his friend is into it too and it's super boring and it's super uninteresting and the acting's not particularly great and there's no special effects and it's just like okay we got friend zone nerd stuff going on but with some sort of psychic power that you know I'm glad they don't dive into the science of it too much because it, you know it's nonsense but it's just like them learning how to do these things and eventually uh you know the science backfires and he can't control his power and the good-natured nerd who never had sex um uh, who gets women turns into the monster is it the nighty professor story sort of dr jekyll mr hyde thing going on um at the end the last 10 minutes has some great special effects i'm not i mean for the time they're fun and they're cool and they're enjoyable and it gets over the top and weird things start to happen and morphing and goo and slime uh really cool stuff maybe from something like a, a rent Stuart Gordon movie or like something like the rejuvenator but it happens in the last 10 minutes and there is an hour and 15 minutes of sheer boredom sheer uninteresting stuff unfortunately I think this movie could have been cut down but it probably wouldn't have saved it it, it is a snooze fest unfortunately and I did not enjoy myself. Uh, at times, I believe there was some nice colors, and I think that they could have done some more interesting things, but it's just boring. It's very boring, and that's kind of the worst thing you can do with a movie. Um, it's not the movie I hate the most or anything like that, but I hope that I do forget it because there's not enough room in my brain for everything, and that's definitely not something I want to remember. I think the last 10 minutes are great. I think that the special effects guys did some fun things, and I think the concept could be cool and you know explore that kind of deal, but it's very typical, and it's just not worth the effort to watch it, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I just This took like three sittings, and that, that's I watch lots of movies, so you guys know that's got to be pretty bad. I know this is like a half-ass review, but it's kind of a half-ass 
movie at the same time, for me at least. I know the filmmakers definitely probably tried. It doesn't look like they didn't try, but it just was really, really hard to get through and just very uninteresting and boring. Mind killer. Sorry. Okay, the pick a movie. Yeah, I'm glad they picked this one. I haven't seen this movie in years, probably 16 years, and it is The Untold Story, starring Anthony Wong. Yes, this is the old DVD from what, Tai Sang? Uh, they released a bunch of crazy stuff that I still have a lot of it, and some cool stuff as well. The Untold Story is from 1993, and uh, boy... I remember this movie always leaving an impact on me. I remembered a lot of scenes from it. Um, and I've always thought Anthony Wong was a tremendous actor. And uh, one of these, one of the kind performances that he does in that, and Ebola syndrome. He's just wild, man. He's just wild. So I put this in, and no, it, it, I didn't know if it would come across like that extreme movie I saw years ago. And I was like, this is messed up. And it really is pretty messed up. We have... This character in Anthony Wong, he changes his name a couple times in the opening of the movie. It's 1978, and he kills somebody, I believe, in Hong Kong. And then he flees, changes his identity. And he ends up in this uh, this restaurant working with uh, for these uh, couples. And then before we know it, he's, he's owning the restaurant, and some people have went missing. And it doesn't take long to figure out what happened. The, and, and that's half the story. The other half of the story is police procedural, which adds in this layer of kind of silly, goofy comedy, which is just kind of nonsensical 
in a lot of ways. Not nonsensical, just kind of slapsticky for the plot because we have this really dark stuff with Anthony Wong, who at times is comical only because he's so crazy and scary. And then we have these police procedurals who are constantly worrying about pretty girls and always goofing off and trying to impress one one another and then obsessed with the chief who brings in all these, uh, who's played by Danny Lee's and I think some um, John Woo movies. And he brings in these uh, prostitutes that he's sleeping with and they're always like, let me take her home. And it's just like really weird mixture of two and uh hong kong uh does that hong kong films have done that this is a cat 3 hong kong movie so you guys know what you're getting yourself into but uh, this is what probably one of the most famous ones especially in the u.s but it's just a weird tonal mix and uh but that doesn't stop the disturbing stuff from really being bothersome oh anthony wong says he owns this restaurant and he says that the people who lived here previously who were who owned it previously a husband wife and five kids had disappeared they ran away but uh people start to catch on to wong and he starts to kill people uh in one point he it's pretty graphic and this is infamously known for cannibalism and people not knowing what they're eating so that story's been told a couple times this is based on a true story supposedly so there's a movie called bloody buns which i think follows kind of a similar story uh so and uh there's a a graphic rape scene in this movie to be honest Uh, when the violence happens it's pretty grueling but like i said this movie has these two storylines and of course they meet at the end and the cops kind of intersect and realize what's going on and they have to get a confession and it's a lot of police brutality going on in this movie it has like i said one of the most graphic disturbing rape scenes i've seen in a very long time i wrote well i had seen this before but i didn't remember it being that horrific to be honest and um it has uh one of the craziest uh confessions uh in a film and uh they basically get to this stubborn level where the cops say we can't let this guy not confess even if we have the evidence we need it because there's he's he's done another murder somewhere else and they're going to come in and take him and anthony wong just gets to this stubborn point where he says i refuse absolutely refuse to confess so we have all these torture and elements and then when eventually we find out what happened you just think oh my god it is crazy there's a couple lines in here that i just was like wow no point to let you go that line and the, the glasses that Wong wears are these big bot- coke bottle glasses or they're just huge and it really makes the character saying so he's like he's bald and he has these glasses and he's intense and he's an abrasive asshole it's just a really weird crazy wild performance I love the performance the movie I it's a really really good movie but it's also really heavy disturbing stuff so a lot of people will not get into it I really wish these Hong Kong movies would get a, a wider release here a blu-ray release like a bullet syndrome or um you know some Red to Kill and um, the Untold Story because uh, I really like them. I think they're really good. I know that they have this level of meanness and mean spiritedness that a lot of people can't get behind, and I don't blame them. But I've always kind of liked the Hong Kong style of filmmaking. Everything I've seen, I've kind of enjoyed. But Untold Story is one of the best ones, uh, I think, that I've seen. I've only seen a handful. I've probably seen more than I remember, but I remember this one standing out. Uh, Untold Story, great stuff. Glad it was picked for the um, pick a movie because it was great revisiting it. But uh, yeah. In a sleepy port town in Macau, on the southeast coast of China, the gentle town folk are about to awake to an unimaginable horror. The local police are doing their best, but who could have ever guessed? The delicious secret.
critically acclaimed. An instant cult classic. Written by and starring Danny Lee, star of John Woo's The Killer. And starring hard-boiled Anthony Wong in the riveting performance that earned him the 1993 Hong Kong Film Award for Best Actor. Creepy. Demented. Darkly witty. Thrilling. And 100% fresh. Based, unfortunately, upon real events. <laughs> okay, let's do the pick-a-movie. I know peek and boo is last picked, but he didn't get to me. Get to me, or I'll skip you. I don't want to have to skip you. Because I only have a limited time to get the movies that people pick, so. Who's next? We have Adam Weber. If I can show this damn thing. There we go. Let me know what you want me to check out. Uh, now I want to do a little shout-out to... Um, I don't want to mess this up. So let me read off the paper like a non-professional. We have a BizCut Bub Horror Reviews. He uh, sent me a link um, to... He handed me a La Toast or La Toast um, at Wasteland. Um, it, it was a short. I haven't had a chance to watch it. It's a movie he made. And uh, he wanted to basically say... Um, He's going to have more copies if anyone's interested. I'll, I'll put the link, his YouTube link below, and you can contact him if you're interested in checking it out. But let's hop into the questions. Uh, Nick Moore, what was it like talking to Toby Hooper? Did you ask opinion on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake? I think you're mistaking me for, like, the real Dave Parker who does, like, movies like Dead Hate the Living and The Hills Run Red. He actually has, like, a real film career. I'm just a guy who acts in independent movies, and so I think that's what you might be thinking I am. And I apologize if you thought I was that guy the whole time, but no. Uh, he's much older than me. Not by much, maybe at least a decade older than me, and uh, you know, lives in Hollywood and makes movies for a living. Um, which old uh, zombie flick should get remade now? Hmm. What would be a fun one to remake? A zombie movie that should get a remake. Man, that's tough because all the ones I really like, I wouldn't remake. But there's probably... Shattered Dead with a big budget would be really cool. I don't know if it would be as crazy as the original, but I would like to see that, actually. Maybe the same director with a big budget. I'd like that. Shattered Dead. That's a crazy zombie movie, unlike any other. Do you enjoy black comedy? Any favorites? I do like black comedy, but it's hard to pick what genre black comedy is because it's just like a term that like spreads across tons of genres like human said to be two is that a black comedy i think it is um i, th I enjoy it i think that's fun but not fun <laughs> disgusting but funny um so there's lots uh I, I need like how you would put them like black comedy i know dark comedy there's like heathers is a dark comedy but is it a black comedy like heathers i i really do enjoy uh dark comedy and black comedy and stuff like that you know it just lots of the dark stuff makes me like like fargo is pretty dark and in, in parts i think that's hilarious so yeah I really do enjoy black comedy, but I don't know if I can pick any out favorites because it's such a, a term that could be, you know, picked into anything, if that makes any sense. And we have some answers. Last, uh, the, the week I have some previous ones I missed. What were your favorite podcasts? Nick Moore says, Dead for Filth has always struck my fancy. Nice, lengthy podcast uh, featuring Michael Varati. I'm sorry if I said his name wrong. I do know the guy. He used to, I don't know him well, but he used to go to Wasteland a lot. He seemed really cool. He always has managed to get horror legends on the show. Um, Jonathan Wilhelm. 
This is pretty funny. Uh, come on, Dave. Everyone knows uh, the question of the week. I, I bas- Basically, I asked you guys last week, which is better, Violent Shit 2 or 3, because I wanted the proof of point if you wa- watched last week's video with um, me and Jason Lindbergh arguing which movie's better, Violent Shit 2 and 3. But I don't want to give the wrong impression like the Violent Shit movies are these excellent masterpieces or anything, so nobody rush out and buy the Violent Shit movies. If, if they look like they're up your alley... Shot on video, German splatter, check him out. But Jonathan Wilhelm, come on, Dave. He's referring to the cinnamon, wa- cinna- cinnamon, cinema wasteland video. Come on, Dave. Everyone knows milk contains vitamin D, a key ingredient in uh, methotho- <laughs> Jesus, whatever. The natural repellent to all vampires. This weird guy, whatever. But um, not Wilhelm, but the other guy. But And Violent Shit 3 is a better movie in my opinion. So that's one for me. Peek and Boo, question of the week. Don't think I have seen any Violent Shit movies, sorry. But I have seen the Necrophiles and Necrophiles 2, Lust Never Dies. I do watch movies. I'll get on the violent shit movies as soon as my wallet has some cash. Maybe I'll do that. Those nec- I've seen Necrophiles 1. That's a weird movie. Paul Wackel. I would probably go with Violent Shit 3. I saw it long before I saw any of the other ones, and it always felt kind of special to me. My first experience with it was under the zo- title Zombie Doom. My dad also watched it, and I'm not so sure he enjoyed it. But once, every once in a while, he'll say to me, What's that movie you have where those they're wearing those weird masks and killing people on the island? I have a soft spot for Andras Snas. His effects are crude, but there's something about them that's very satisfying to me. He's got a passion for what he does, and he always makes movie, made movies the way he wants them to be made. Not the greatest stuff out there, but definitely a guilty pleasure. Anyway, it's always entertaining when ninjas show up for no reason. Have a good one. That's great. I like the story. Domino D, I have never seen any violent shit movies. I have this DVD set that came out a few years ago. Just need to get around to watching them. Oh, and he, he brings back a thing I brought up a couple weeks. Have you ever boycotted any movies or people outside for actions they did outside of the industry? And he says, I'm so pissed off with Ryan Nicholson right now with the gutter balls to Indiegogo that I would toss the gutter balls, that gutter balls you bought in the trash. I know it's last week's question, but I just realized I would boycott his movies. Cinema Wasteland looked like fun. So, um, you know, I think, I think Ryan Nicholson will eventually get that out there, but I understand people's frustrations for sure because I've donated, so. The Wicker Boy, awesome. Dude looks like you had fun at Wasteland. So jealous. Wish we had a convention over here in the UK. My choice is Violent Shit 3. Like you said, more fucking gore. I need to check out some of the shorts. I've seen that the Dustin Mill short, which is amazing. So cool to see my name getting picked out. Dude, cheers. Because he picked um, the uh, Untold Story for the Pick a Movie. And Chris Rivers, Violent Shit 3, definitely. So I don't know what the final count is, but that's three more for Violent Shit 3. That's right. <laughs> Not going to lose to you, Lindbergh. Uh, the question I want to ask for this week is, um, I, I like what the Paul Wykel story about his dad having to watch Violent Shit 3. So I said, do you guys have any great stories about, you, about watching crazy movies with your parents? I know those are always fun stories I heard. Like I remember watching The Devil's Rejects on TV. Um, I was watching the Blu-ray. My dad walked in, and he was like, what is this? Like It was crazy. And he saw Jeffrey Lewis in it, and he was like, What's he doing in this? Because he knew Jeffrey Lewis from like the Clint Eastwood movies and the old westerns. He's like, what's he doing in this? And that just always cracked me up. That you know, and he's great in that movie too, Jeffrey Lewis. Um, you say that again, it leads for. But uh, yeah. Um, anyways, let's hop into the update. Okay, guys, let's hop into this update. First, we have from Scream Factory, The Brain. I think this is the first one that I reviewed on the VHS Voyage. It's gotten a Blu-ray release since. So yeah, Mind Over Matter. This movie's insane. This movie's a blast. Uh, Ed Hunt did it, who did Bloody Birthday. It's got David Gale. It's Canadian exploitation is what they'd call it. It's uh, really weird and cool and different and fun. And you're in for a good time if you check out The Brain. Then what do we got here? We got uh, from Kino, Rider on the Rain with Charlie Bronson. Yeah, 
I'm going to buy any Charlie Bronson Blu-rays that I don't have. And I did not have this one. I don't know much about this movie. I knew there was a Japanese Blu-ray possibly or something like that. But glad Kino did it. Uh, yeah. Then we have another Bronson, Cold Sweat. And I had heard a little bit more about this one. Looks really cool. It's got a nice cast in there. James Mason, uh, Liv Ullman. Yeah. Jill Ireland, of course, his wife. But yeah. This one, the plot sounds cool too. Sounds like something I'd enjoy. So yeah, cold sweat. And then we have a bunch from the Kino sale. These sales always get me. The Minion, Dolph Lundgren. I don't know if I've seen this. This looks like something I might have seen on television, but I'm not 100%. Looks really weird. I like Dolph. Then we have uh, Zachariah, which is supposed to be the first electric western. This looks insane and different. It's got Don Johnson in it. This could be different. Uh... I like westerns, like I said, and I'm always willing to try out the weird ones and different ones. So, yeah. Then we have The Earthling with uh, William Holden and uh, Ricky Schroeder. But you know what? This is this is one I had to have because uh, years ago, even before, this has got to be, I was super young, maybe 10, 12. Before I knew who the hell William Holden was, I saw this movie partially on television. And I remember him getting really mad about a wombat in the, uh, the Australia uh, Outback. Or, um, and, um... Not being able to catch this wombat. Uh, but yeah, I remember it fairly decently. But I really want to recheck it out. Yeah, this would be nice to see. The Earthling. And then we have uh, The Midnight Man uh, with Burt Lancaster. This cast in here just kind of, uh, you know, sucked me in. And it looked really interesting and different. And so, yeah. I'm not sure I know too much about it. But it uh, looks interesting. Looks good. And the time and the cast and everything just speaks to me. Oop. Then we have The Bounty with Mel Gibson and Anthony Hopkins. Um, I've not seen this. Um, I think they talked about it in the 80s all over. I'm not sure if the reviews were particularly great. I think they said the, the acting was great, but it sounds interesting. I mean, with a cast like that, why not? Then we have uh, last The Last Command with Sterling Hayding and Ernest Borgnine. I think this is the Alamo story, so yeah. Borgnine and the Alamo? I'm in, guys. Then we have, uh, I'm not even going to try, Race. What is this called? Race for the Yankee uh, Zephyr? So, yeah, I'm not sure. This just looks super weird and bizarre. Again, looks like one of these wild, weird movies that I don't know what's going on. But Donald Pleasance is in it. Uh, yep, looks weird. And then we have The Fourth War by John Frankenheimer with Roy Scheider, uh, Jorgen Pritchow, and Harry Dean Stanton. There he is down there. This, uh, you know, this looks good. I've not seen much about it, to be honest. I, I don't remember. This is one of those movies I, I remember the cover, but I never watched. So, and Then we have Tell Them Willy Boy is here with Robert Redford. So, yeah, I think this is also a Western. Like you guys can tell, I, I really enjoy Westerns, so I pick up whatever Kino has on sale at the time, especially from the 50s, 60s, 70s, those Westerns. So, yeah. Then we have The House That Would Not Die. I had my eye on this one for a long time, um, when, right when it was released, and I was waiting for a sale. This looks interesting. I'm not really sure exactly what's going on with it, but it looks like a horror light, so yeah. And then we have The Alapalooza with Marlon Brando and John Saxton. Uh, yeah, love John Saxton, so another Western. Picked it up. So that's it for the update. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Back to the video. Oh, wait, wait. Sorry. We have a, v a DVD, Unspeakable Acts. This is sent to me to review by uh, the filmmakers. Some things are best left unspoken. And yeah, I'll check this one out when I get a chance. So, yep. See you guys. Back to the video.
All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed the update and everything. Uh, as always, thank you very much for watching, and uh, have a good one.